Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Tell you what, I believe we've been through a chapter a week roughly. Sometimes two chapters a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night. That's about 11, 12 weeks, best I could figure, we've been in Acts. And that's about as fast as you can go through it. Book of Acts, you can spend as much time as you want. Uh, there's just so much there, so much that the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, but what I would say is I was listening to them sing after 22 chapters of Acts, you'd pretty much be ready to say, let the storm clouds rise, the dark clouds rise. They won't worry me. After you've been through 22 chapters in Acts and you've seen how bad they had it and how hard they had it, you said, bring it on, 2020. Bring it on. I got Acts 22 chapters in me and I'm ready to go. Acts 22, we're going to stand and read our text first this week. Find, stand when you found Acts 22 and verse number 1. Acts 22 and verse number 1. We're going to read verse 1 and then we're going to read verse 3. As Brother Mal pointed out on how we got our Bible, the chapter and verse notations were added much, much later. And we see, and I believe he gave this as an example. Uh, if you look back in chapter number 21 at the last verse in verse number 40. Uh, and, it's, and when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made great silence, he spake unto them in Hebrew tongue, saying. And then our text verse is going to be in tw chapter 22 and verse number 1. We would know it would immediately follow that last verse. The Bible says, Men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. In verse number 3, I am verily a man, which I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. This evening I want to preach on this thought, guilty as charged. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Acts. Thank you so much for the life and ministry of Paul. Thank you so much for the life and ministry of all you've called and saved by your grace, Father. Of all they have been woven together in the family of God and led us to this point in 2020 where we can worship freely and in spirit and in truth in a country that still allows it. God, let us not take that for granted tonight. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you remove any stumbling block. You remove anything that would seek to distract the people of God, the minds of God, the hearts of God. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every vice of the devil, that you bind every demonic attempt to distract from your word tonight, Father, because it's not what I have to say. It's what you have to say and what we see in your word that matters. God, I pray that you speak to the hearts of your people. Get me out of your way and make your point. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we know from last week's and the past few weeks that Paul made it to Jerusalem. We know uh, it was with a broken heart that he made it to Jerusalem, that uh, there wasn't uh, very many people that, he, that were following him that were in agreement that he should to go to Jerusalem. They were begging him. This, the Bible says they besought him not to go up into Jerusalem, just like they did our Lord back in Matthew 16. And uh, he arrived there with a broken heart, knowing that God had allowed him to come that far, knowing that this would be his time to stand for Christ and be persecuted and arrested. Um, and it, we know that it was not... A warm welcome. We know that as Paul arrived back in chapter number 21, uh, that the moment from the moment he got there, uh, there were people that grabbed a hold of him and were encouraging him. But also, we're going to use this as our introduction, the end of chapter number 21, and see and see exactly um, 
that it was not a very warm welcome. However, it was the very welcome Paul was expecting. He was not caught off guard by this. He was not caught by surprise of this. He knew what it meant to go to Jerusalem, just as our Lord knew what it meant to go to Jerusalem. Preaching the, uh, the gospel was not something that was favored in Jerusalem. So he knew this would happen. But first of all, look back in chapter 21 and verse number 30. Chapter 21 and verse number 30. And the first thing we're going to notice is a covetous city. A covetous city. Look at verse number 30. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. It was at this point that when Paul had brought Gentiles into the temple, when Paul had spoken and endorsed the fact that Gentiles were going to be taught in the temple and that the gospel was presented to them too and that Jesus Christ the Messiah loved them too just as much as he did to the Jew, to the Jew and to the Greek also. When Paul presented that truth, when Paul gave that to the people of Jerusalem, that was the moment they turned to an uproar. That was the moment that they, become, they became jealous of the fact that, that the gospel had been extended past the brethren and past the Pharisees and past the Sadducees and past the Sanhedrin and past those of Jewish blood and of covenant blood, and it had that grace and that mercy had been extended to the Gentiles. We've seen this a recurring theme all throughout Paul's ministry, Peter's ministry, and all the apostles' ministries. The moment they would cross that line would be the moment a lot of Jews, the, the Jews that had not been converted, the Jews that had not been born again, it would be that moment that they would get upset, that they would draw the line in the sand and say, Nope, we're not listening to anything more that this people had to say. And it was at that moment that they took Paul, they grabbed Paul and they uh, began to work themselves into a frenzy, work themselves into an uproar, so much the so that Covetous City led to a confused captain. Look at verse number 33. Then the chief captain came near and took him, Paul, and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty of the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. The man in charge was simply blown away and baffled and confused at just how the uproar that had walked in. When he got word, this, it, this man in charge, this chief captain, when he got word that there was a, a frenzy, that there was an uproar around the temple and that this man was to blame and they're all pointing the finger at Paul and he, he, he no doubt he comes in and he sees they're all upset, he sees they're all angry, he sees that they're about to kill him. They're about to uh, kill him in cold blood, murder him there in the streets and he intervenes and he says, what has this man done? And this captain trying to take charge of the situation and trying to organize the situation, when he asks that question, he simply gets answers. Verse number 31 makes it very clear. Uh, or excuse me. Uh, verse number 34, and some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. He could not get a straight answer. He became a very confused man in charge. The man that was seeking to come into that situation and take charge of the situation, he began to become... Some part of the crowd was saying this. Some part... And the truth of the matter is, is there were many accusations being made against Paul. There were many stones being thrown at Paul. There were many darts being launched at Paul. Paul was not... Uh, they were not running with Paul with one saying and one accord, and that is what the, the devil seeks to do. Anytime God's doing something, anytime God's, he, he does not just send one argument. He does not just send one accusation. He will attack from every angle. He will attack from within, as we saw. He will attack from without, as we saw. He will use principalities and powers in high places. He will use people that you'd never expect. The devil will attack from me. And it became even so overwhelming that this captain had become confused. But then we see a conditional conversation. Look in verse number 37. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, 
You see this captain and said, we, we got to get you back to the castle before this riot turns into a mob and lynches you and kills you and murders you. we got to get you back until we can figure this out and hold trial and persecute you or let you go, whatever happens. And Paul was led to the castle. He said to the chief captain, may I speak unto thee? And the captain responded, canst thou speak Greek? Art thou now that Egyptian, which before these days made an uproar and lead us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men and murderers? And Paul says, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, a, city in, a, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak to the people. As Paul's being led by this chief captain, that chief captain didn't have to let Paul say anything. He didn't have to let Paul even open his mouth. The very moment Paul reached out and tried to speak to that captain and tried to speak to that guard, the security could have silenced him right then. But for whatever reason, that, that soldier, that chief captain, <coughs> that man in charge looked at Paul and he heard him and he understood him. He said, can you speak Greek? And then Paul began to speak to him in that language and speak to him in Greek and, and educate him on the fact that, hey, I'm not who you think. I'm not this Egyptian that I'm just a man that needs to speak to these people. Will you let me speak? Will you let me say a word? Sir, they're throwing so many accusations at me. They're worked into a frenzy. They're worked into an uproar. They're attacking me. They're demanding that you arrest me. They're chanting, away with him, away with him. You're about to take me to a dungeon. Things aren't looking well. Will you let me speak? It was a conditional conversation. We know that the chief captain then gave him literal permission in verse number 40. Uh, it, gives, <coughs> it gives him permission. It says, and when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs. And now we see a calming command. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And there was made a great silence unto them in the Hebrew tongue. And when there was made a great silence... So we see Paul, he gets permission from this chief captain. He says, you want to talk? You want to say something to them? You want to have a conversation with them? They want you dead. They want you killed. They want, they're calling you a heretic. They're calling you this. They're calling you that. You want to talk to them? Go ahead. And we see here Paul stands and beckons with them with the hand. It doesn't say he started shouting and hollering and pitching a fit. Y'all better listen to me. He never uh, got in his emotions, got in his feelings, got in this, got in that. He didn't fight fire with fire per se. He didn't stoop to their level. He simply stood on the stairs and he beckoned with his hand. He held out his hand and he, he demanded an audience. And we see this crowd for reasons none other than I would say that the Holy Ghost, the, the hush of the Holy Ghost puts this crowd and they're at the point where they're going to listen. And a calming silence, this crowd that was once in a complete riot, this crowd that was once demanding for his death, this crowd that was cheering away with him, away with him, kill him, murder him, get him out of our city. He's preaching that gospel garbage. He's preaching that Jesus, that Bible thumper, that stuff that they're, get him out of here. He's a heretic. He's preaching heresy. He's contradicting the writings of Moses. He's contradicting the covenants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's contradicting everything we've ever known. Get him out of here with one sweep of the hand. Paul puts his hands up and they grow silent. And they grow silent. So many accusations were flying at Paul and his message. And I want us to take note of what's going on here. Paul gets the opportunity to stand to those accusations. Paul gets the opportunity to speak to the people that were accusing him, to speak to the people that were attacking him, to speak to the people that were demanding his arrest. And a lot of us get these opportunities, and we see these opportunities in our daily lives. And the application of this is very simple. There are many accusations thrown at you and thrown at me in 2020. There are many accusations and name-calling that is being thrown at Christians, being thrown at church members, being thrown at people who read their Bibles, being thrown at people who witness. We're called bigots. We're called 
Bible thumpers. We're called a hateful crown. We're guilty of hate crimes and hate speech. And we're so hateful and we're so mean. And when given the opportunity to respond, when given the platform to respond, a lot of times we stoop to their level. A lot of times we go and we attack right back. We click the post button on Facebook and we put, they yell at us in a nasty comment. So we type us up a nasty comment. And then we say, but we'll preface the whole comment with, as a Christian, and then we'll put this nasty comment out there. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. So see where Paul is. All these nasty things that they would have been yelling at him. All this ill will they had towards him. Paul sticks his hands up and gets a silent, observant audience that is ready to hear what he has to say. And here's what he says. Paul wanted to make absolutely sure, as a servant, as an apostle, as a preacher, that he stayed above reproach. That he did not stoop to their level. That he did not yell and get angry. That he did not go to the level and fight the world's battle the world's way. Paul does something so big here that you and I can do right here in 2020. Paul stands and he wanted to make sure exactly that they knew what he was admitting guilt of. Because he was not going to admit guilt that he was preaching heresy because he wasn't. He was not going to admit guilt that he was defiling the temple by bringing Gentiles in because he wasn't guilty for doing that. He was not going to. But he wanted to make exactly sure. He wanted to make it very clear. He wanted to make sure that everybody in that silent moment, in that moment where he stood there on those steps, that it would be made perfectly clear exactly what Paul was guilty of. Number one, Paul said, I am guilty of being a nobody. I am guilty of being a nobody. Look at verse number 3 in chapter number 22. We'll go back up to verse number 1 to give us a little more context. Men, brethren, and fathers. This is how he begins to speak. And notice back in verse number 40, he speaks in Hebrew. All right, He speaks the Jews' language. He leaves no excuse to make sure that the people that needed to hear what he had to say heard exactly what he had to say. And that as he would be giving an admission of some would say guilt, it would not be the accusations he was throwing at them. And in verse number one, he says, Men, brethren, and fathers. Men, those of you who don't know me. Brethren, those of you who know a little bit about me. And fathers, the ones that think you're right and I'm wrong. Hear my defense, which I make now unto you. Hear my defense. Verse number two, parenthetical here, it says, And when they had heard, he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. So they took note that he was speaking directly to the Jewish people. And he, first of all, he says, I'm a nobody. Verse number three, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Sicilia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, his instructor, his teacher, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law and of the fathers and was zealous towards God, as ye all are this day. When he said, I'm a nobody, first thing he wanted to make clear is, I was just like you. I was just like you. Guilty as charged. I was exactly like you. Paul explained his lineage, his livelihood, and his location was no different than those of the people that were attacking him and those of the people that were accusing him. And he wanted to make it perfectly clear. Hey, listen, you're accusing me of being this big shot that thinks he can make all these calls and make all these decisions. You're accusing me of being some hate speech monger. And you're accusing me of being a bigot. And you're accusing me of hating people and telling people that they're wrong and Jesus is right. Listen, I am nobody. Guilty as charged. I'm nobody. I am just, I was just like you. He came from the same place. He was brought up with the same teachings. He was educated in the same way. He had the same lineage. He would have worked the same jobs. He would have been just like him. Just like him. 
And ought that not be our approach when we're attacked and we're accused and we're pointed and the finger's right at the end of our nose and we're being accused of being hateful and not willing to accept change and not willing to accept and, and conform and, 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 and let things go by and be open-minded and, and do this and do that and allow sin to be called righteousness and allow righteousness to be called sin. When we're accused, a lot of times we write, attack right back with the first words out of our mouth is, hey, listen, I'm no better than you are. I'm nobody. I was just like you. Another thing he was saying, I thought I was good. Look at the second heart of verse number three. And was talking to Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God. He said, I thought I was doing something great. I thought I was doing something that I was being bid by God to do. When I was in your shoes, people that are attacking me, people that are trying to get me arrested, I was just like you. And not only that, I thought I was just like, I, I, I had the same ambitions. I had the same motives. I thought I was standing for God. I thought I was standing for God's law. I thought I was upholding God's law. I thought I was obeying the writings of Moses. I thought, this is what it sounds like in 2020, I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought I was obeying the law just as much as the next guy. I wasn't as bad as them. I wasn't. A, this is what I thought. He's looking at him. He said, guilty as charged. I thought I was a good person too. I thought the law was enough. I thought my lineage was enough. I thought a Pharisee, being a Pharisee was enough. I thought being taught by Gamaliel was enough. I thought being of the lineage of Abraham and Isaac was enough. I thought being of the tribe of <clears throat> the tribes of Israel was enough. I thought since my daddy did it and his granddad, I thought that was enough too. I thought I was good, but I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I was just like you. I thought I was good. But the truth of the matter is, we find in verse number four, Paul says, I was worse than you. Look at verse number four. And I persecuted this way unto the death and binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders from whom I also received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. First of all, people, I'm guilty of being nobody. I was just like you, and I thought I was a good person, but here's the truth of the matter. I was a wicked person. I persecuted the church. I was anti-Jesus. I was anti-God. I was anti-Gospel. I was against everything that Jesus was trying to do. If the Holy Ghost was trying to build a church, I was trying to burn it down. If the Holy Ghost was trying to create unity, I was trying to dismantle it and divide it. If the Holy Ghost was trying to create this, I was working in direct opposition. He was honest with them about being a nobody, but he got real honest with him and real honest with those accusers and even admitted to the wicked things that he had done. And the lifestyle that he had lived, a lot of times, and we put that as Christians in front of what we're about to say, and we immediately elevate ourselves to a platform, and the moment we do that, sinners don't listen. The moment we put ourselves on a pedestal and on a platform and say, as a Christian, I'm about to tell you what you're going to do wrong, and the, the things that you're doing wrong, and the life that you're... Is it still sin? Absolutely. Is it wrong? Absolutely. But notice the stance Paul takes here on these stairs. I was worse than you. I was worse than you. And not that not need to be our conversation? A lot of us need to remember what we were guilty of. A lot of us need to remember that we're nobody. We are nobody. And even if we've been saved 50 years, God is no respecter of persons. We're still nobody. We're still nobody. We're guilty of being nobody. That's what Paul said. Guilty as charged. I'm nobody. And then he would go on to write in later on in one of his epistles, 
Oh, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I'll just save it for then. He was guilty of being a nobody. Number two, he was guilty of knowing somebody. Look at verse number six. He just finishes in five verses explaining to them how terrible of a person he was and how undeserving he was and how little he was. Verse number six. And it came to pass as I made my journey and was come nigh to Damascus about noon. Suddenly there shone, round, there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm guilty of being a nobody, but I'm also guilty of knowing somebody. I'm guilty of being nobody, but I'm also guilty of knowing somebody. I'm guilty of being the chief of sinners. I'm guilty of being the least of these. I'm guilty. But when we're talking in 2020 to these people that would want to throw accusations and want to throw titles and want to dig and want to poke and is, are, they're motivated by their fear and their, their negligence to their own sin and they're blind to their own sin and they attack you rather than steep to their level, rather than fight the world's battle the world's way, simply tell them I'm nobody but I know somebody. I know somebody. Let me tell you about how I met this what Paul does. He begins to share his personal testimony. He doesn't get super over-the-top theological here. He doesn't get super educated here. He was a super educated individual. He was a very smart edge of people, educated people. He was talking to lost people. And he very clearly made it clear to them that, hey, I know somebody. And I don't just know him, but I wasn't looking for him. I was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. Listen, friend, in 2020, listen, friend, who's listening out there that just thinks this is a bunch, this is fake and phony. When I got saved, I wasn't looking for him. When he found me, I wasn't looking for him. When he came to where I was, I wasn't looking for him. It wasn't anything by righteousness that I had done, but by his grace and the work of the completed uh, work of Calvary that he did, that he found me. It, it, I wasn't looking for him, Paul said. I was nobody. I was anti-God. I was anti-Jesus. But I'm guilty of knowing somebody. I'm guilty of walking my own walk and right in the middle of it, suddenly a light shone round about me. And he called me by name. He said, Saul, Saul. How you remember that? The Holy Ghost whispered in your heart, Bryce. Some of you were little boy, little girl. Some of you weren't so young. But you remember. You remember. Bryce. Bryce, I've come for you. Jacob, I've come for you. Remember, Jacob, you said, I just came for the hot dog. But the Holy Ghost came for me. He said, I just came for the hot dog. But the Holy Ghost came for me. Paul said, I, I'm guilty of knowing somebody. I'm guilty of knowing him. You, get, you starting to get what I'm, asking, what I'm getting at now? I'm I'm guilty. I wasn't even looking for him and he found me. I wasn't even in the same realm of possibility of even accounting him into the equation and he found me. And then when he did find me, I couldn't, make an, I couldn't take another step. Look at verse number nine. And when they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Verse number 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? How I many you remember that? I just got gloriously washed in the blood. Now what? Show me, Lord. Paul said, I'm guilty of knowing somebody that when I didn't have the strength to take another step, when I didn't have a clue what this life was going to, this new born again, bought by the blood life was going to bring me, there was a hand that took me right by the hand and showed me everywhere I needed to go. 
there was a hand that said, that, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get up, arise, go on into the city, and it will be told there what, to thee what thee must do, what thou must do. He said, Saul, follow me. That's what he said. Saul, go where I have for you to go. Talk to the people I have for you to do. How many of you can look back? It's hard when you're right there in that moment. But a lot of you elder saints of God that have been saved a long, long time, no, you can take, you can do this right here. You can look back. And you can see all the people, all the places, all the things that he brought you to, all the things that he's brought you through. And you can look back and see every single step of the way he was leading you. Every single step of the way his sovereign will was guiding you. You weren't just swept away with the current. You weren't just going with the flow. You weren't part of a movement. You weren't part of a crowd. You weren't just doing something because it was cool. As a matter of fact, you were doing something that wasn't cool. You weren't just doing it because you had an emotional reaction. You were doing it because you had a spiritual salvation that was leading you and guiding you and mentoring you and sanctifying you and discipling you and teaching you and helping you to be the next one in the chain that would lead on and share the gospel with somebody else. Are you guilty of knowing somebody? I know somebody. But Paul was saying, hear me, I, I'm guilty of knowing somebody. I was all alone, but he gave me a family. I wasn't looking for him, but he was looking for me. I couldn't take another step, but he walked with me. And I was all alone, but he gave me a family. Remember, we talked about it. We preached about it. His old friends ran him out of Jerusalem. Remember? Remember? His old friends ran him out when Saul on the Damascus Road, got gloriously saved. And the first friend he was given was a man named Ananias, who was simply available to be used. And Ananias told him what the Spirit of the Lord had in store for him, what God had shared with Ananias. And Saul knew he had to get out of Jerusalem. He even recounts it here that the Lord told him, you got to get out of here, they're going to kill you. Your old friends don't want you anymore. But what happened when he got to the brethren? What happened when he got to Peter? They withstood him, didn't they? But when I was all alone... God gave me a Barnabas. God gave me an Ananias. How many can look back? How many can look back? And you see those Barnabases. You see those Ananias. You see those Aquilas and Priscillas. You see those homes. Then you, later on, you would see those Peter, James, and John. You would see those apostles that came alongside. You would see all the family that God has given you. I know there are some in here that when the day you got saved, you were all by yourself. The day you made the decision to follow Christ, you were the only one in your family that would ever make that decision. You were the only one that saw things God's way and, and, and admitted that you needed salvation. And you were the only one that had been, had been bought by the blood and saved by the blood and you knew you were all alone, but how many of you know you've never been alone? You've seen God's hand align you to people, bring you to the people, uh, join you to a place like this where we can truly say, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I can look at my kids. I can look at my daughter. I can look at my son. And I can know without a shadow of a doubt they're growing up in a church that knows their name, that cares about them, that loves them. Why? Because they're family. They're family. You know what families do? They fight, they bicker, they complain. They don't, they don't see things the same way. Why? They're people. But at the end of the day, when that dust settles, they're family. Let me say that again. When that dust settles, they're still family. Paul says, I'm guilty of knowing somebody, and that somebody has given me a family you can't take away. While you're throwing and you're accusing and you're throwing all these titles at me and you're saying away with him, away with him, away with him, I got a family. And they love me. And they're praying for me. And guess what, people? Long after y'all dead and gone, they're still going to be carrying on. 
They're still going to be preaching the gospel. They're still going to be witnessing. They're still going to be discipling. Why? Because this thing is bigger than you and me. Paul knew it. He said, I'm guilty of being nobody. I'm guilty of knowing somebody. And they bared with him. They really did. They stayed quiet. They stayed silent until he got to this part. He said, I'm guilty of trying to tell everybody. I'm guilty of trying to tell everybody. Look at verse number 18, or verse number 19. And I said, Lord, they know that I am in prison and beaten every synagogue to them that believe on thee. He's talking about the Jews. Or he's talking about the Christians that he beat and persecuted. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. In verse number 21, And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Look at verse number 22. And they gave him audience unto this word. And then they lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. You see, the devil cannot change that you are nobody. He cannot change that you are a sinner saved by grace. He cannot change that you are just a wretched, poor, blind, unrighteous sinner. He cannot change that. And once you meet somebody, and once you know somebody, and once you repent to somebody, he cannot change that. But where the line will be drawn with the devil is when you try to tell everybody. When a church gets together, when a church gets in unity and one mind and one accord and they start marching forward, that's when the devil gets angry because that's when they start trying to tell them Gentiles. That's when they start trying to tell the outsiders. That's when they try to start trying to tell the people that don't look like them, the people that don't live like them, the people that weren't raised like them, the people that don't dress like them, the people that don't worship like them. When they start trying to tell those people about Jesus, that's when the devil starts to attack. And it was at that moment that the Jews drew the line in the sand and they gave him audience until this word and then they said away with this man I'm guilty of being a nobody I'm guilty of knowing somebody and I'm guilty of trying to tell everybody I'm guilty of trying to tell everybody even though not everybody would listen look at verse number 18 and saw him saying unto me make haste and get this is Jesus talking words in red make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. Paul said, I'm guilty of trying to tell everybody, even though I know many of you aren't going to listen. Even though I know nine out of the tens of the doors I knock on are going to be slammed back in my face. I'm still going to try to tell everybody. Ain't that right, Brother Ed? Somebody I know has been on visitation all over this world, knocked on neighborhoods all over this world, knocked on doors. I know he could stand and he could testify that the majority will not listen. But God's interested in that, that one that opens the door. God's interested in that one little one that gets on a bus. God's interested on the one whosoever will. That's who God's interested in. Whosoever will. Paul said, I'm guilty of trying to tell everybody, even though people like you won't listen, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised pit of vipers, even though that you guys are so set in your ways and you're so set in your sins and you're so blind to it, even though even Jesus himself told me there are many here that are not going to listen, even though I know that I'm still going to tell everybody. I'm still going to tell everybody. Even though some wouldn't listen. Look at verse number 19. Even though his past wasn't perfect. And I said, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by. Remember that? The crowd that killed him? And when they went to go to do the dirty work, 
They took those holy garments off and they laid them at a young man's feet whose name was Saul when they went to kill Stephen. Remember that? Paul brings that up here. He said, I told the Lord, how are they going to listen to me? I persecuted them. I killed them. I held their clothes while they shed innocent blood. I kept their ritualistic, holy, pharisaical garments clean. I kept them safe from the dirty work that they went out to do. When they went out there and they stoned Stephen to death, when they went out there and they killed your man, I stood by and I did nothing. I held their clothes, Lord. Why should I be trying to tell everybody they're not going to listen to me because of my past, because of the things that I'm going to do? No, he's standing here on this hill today. He said, I'm telling everybody, even though I have a past. Even though that in my mind, they weren't going to listen to me. So many, so many don't share Jesus because they think they're not qualified to. Because they think because of the life they lived before, the sins they're guilty of, there's no way God could use me. There's no way. It's not an excuse. It's just flat, dead level, not an excuse. The Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The devil may like to remind you of your past, but your Savior forgave your past. Your Savior forgot your past. When he looks at you, he sees his darling son. So you better be telling everybody, despite your past. And lastly, even though some seemed out of reach, God said, I know they're not going to listen to you in Jerusalem. I know you've persecuted the church, but I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you to Ephesus. I'm going to send you uh, to, to this city and to that city and to Athens and to this place and to that place. You're going to train up young missionaries. You're going to train up young disciples. You're going to train up young preachers. You're going to be used to write a ton of the New Testament. You're going to be used to give the future church doctrine and give the future church epistles that they can look at and be reminded of errors in certain churches. Paul, I've got such a big job for you to do, but I'm going to be sending you to people that you would have never thought I could reach. You know who God wants you to tell? That one in your little brain will never listen. In our little brain, they'll never hear it. They'll never pay. They, they won't care. That's who God wants you to go tell. You can't control the harvest. You can't control their decision. But He can draw and He can convict Hinging on the fact that you're willing to admit that you're nobody. Hinging on the fact that you're willing to admit that you know somebody. And hinging on the fact that you're willing to carry out God's will and tell everybody. Paul said, guilty as charged. So I'm going to close with this as Miss Joy comes. What are you guilty of? What are you guilty of? As you stand before the culture and the world around you in the light of the fact that you are salt and light to this generation... What are you guilty of? Are you guilty of being a nobody and openly admitting that you are nobody? Or could you possibly be guilty of thinking you're somebody? Could you be guilty of thinking that you get to call the shots and you get to make the decisions and you get to decide what God's will is for your life and what God's will is for the lost and dying generation? Could you be guilty of being somebody when you really should be guilty of being nobody? Worst of all tonight, as we stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, Believe in a crowd this size, there could be one. If Jesus were to come back right now, you'd admit, not to me, not to a church, not to religion, but you could admit if Christ were to come back right now, you would be guilty of not knowing somebody. 
you would be guilty of not knowing if your name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You'd be guilty of rejecting the Son of God because you didn't say yes. Because you didn't freely receive His gift. A show of hands tonight, how many can say, Brother Bryce, I know somebody. I know him. I know him. I walk with him. I talk with him. See those hands. Praise God for those hands. Some of you know him better than others. You know what you ought to do? You ought to share those things you know with that generation that don't know as much. Testify of the goodness and the greatness he's worked in your life. Heads bowed, eyes closed, don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you say, Brother Bryce, I don't think I know him. I don't think I've ever met him. I see that hand. I don't think I've ever met him. If I died right now, I don't know if I'd meet him. But I know I don't want to. I know I don't want to spend eternity separated from God. God sees those hands and God sees your heart as I pray. If you need somebody to pray with you, we do have a meeting after service. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll spend a couple minutes in the fellowship hall waiting. As I pray, if you need to go ahead and slip that direction, I'll meet you there. Father, thank you that you're somebody. God, thank you. You're so much bigger than us. Thank you that as Paul stood accused of all those terrible things, as Paul stood, he simply reminded them that he wasn't anybody, but he knew somebody, and all he was trying to do was tell everybody. God, I know that's a simple message. I know that's not super scripturally deep or super theological or God is what you gave me to preach it's what you wanted me to tell your people God I pray that we be reminded of the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of the call you've placed on each and every one of our lives I ask that you be with your church in this hour in Jesus name Amen Amen